Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Comics and Culture Radar, a podcast that's on the lookout for what's good to read and watch. If you don't know who Milton is, let's ask Kiefer Sutherland's father what he thinks. Don't write this down, but I find Milton probably as boring as you find Milton. He's a little bit long-winded. He doesn't translate very well into our generation, and his jokes are terrible. This episode, Milton's guest is Brittany Matter. Brittany is a comic book editor and writer and is currently creating content for Marvel.com. In addition to her work at Marvel, she has worked for publishers Fantagraphic Books and Image Comics. Brittany has edited titles such as Jupiter Jet and the Forgotten Radio, Miranda in the Maelstrom, and The Intrepids. She has written in self-published comics such as Reincarnation and Martial Law, both available on Gumroad, and co-wrote Spitting Image. You can find her at BrittanyMatter.com. Brittany, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Milton. Now, um, I'm not exactly sure which day we're going to post this online, so this really doesn't matter for the folks listening, but I think we might be recording on an auspicious day for you. Am I right? You have um, an issue in comic shops today? I do. It's Miranda in the Maelstrom, number four, and it's a mini series by Riley Beal. And yeah, it just came out today, and it's very exciting. Fantastic. Now, this is issue four. How, is this the last issue, or are there more to come? There are more to come. So far, there's six, and I know Riley's writing more, but I don't know the schedule. And there'll be a collected trade as well, probably in like June or July. Okay, cool, cool. So um, do me a favor. Give me the pitch of what Miranda in the Maelstrom is. It is like an adventure series in space. Um, It's about interdimensional travelers, Miranda and her shark dog, Noodles. And they travel the multiverse maelstrom. So it's like this big supernatural storm uh, where beings are displaced and objects from alternate realities get thrown into the storm and then popped out in other dimensions. Um, and Miranda and her dog, they travel through the storm and they fight evil and they try to help others. That sounds like a fantastic format. It's really fun. And Riley had several different artists come on board to tackle each issue to sort of reflect the different dimensions um, in the art style. And at the end of each issue, two artists share the last page 
to show that transition. That is super cool. Speaking of the creative team, uh, Riley is a writer and you've mentioned there are multiple artists. Um, Tell us a little bit about how the project came to be and at what point you started getting involved. Oh, sure. Uh, Let's see. It was several years ago now. Um, Riley and I worked together at Zulily, the retail website. We were both copywriters. Um, And then I left, I moved away, and he contacted me a couple years later and told me about this project he was working on, and he needed an editor. And so I started editing his scripts, um, and then he took on the daunting task of managing the rest of the book and gathering all the artists and building a team. Well, for everyone out there who's not hip to this fact, you you have just uh, given a fantastic compliment to Riley. The, the self-awareness that you need an editor is one of the stages in developing as a writer, in my opinion. Um, and it's kind of a humbling thing, um, at least for some people it is. It was for me. Um, maybe other people uh, get that understanding much more quickly. Um, so how did that first approach go? Was it like, I'm a mess. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> how, how did you, uh, how did you get asked and how did you jump on? Um, you know, Riley started with, I think two 10 page scripts and then like a third script that was longer, closer to 22 pages, you know, standard comic book format. And as I was reading through them, I felt like there was a lot of world building that he was doing and a lot of um, really deep diving into the characters and in, in kind of a short amount of time, but I don't know, I just saw opportunity for it to be much larger than these short issues. And so I talked to him about it and, and I, I asked him, you know, do you want to develop this? I think it could be, longer you've got a lot of amazing content here and and so he did he made the first two issues twice as long um and then kept going it just kind of snowballed that's interesting that's that's almost the inverse of how many projects that need editing in the early phases um on the indie side turn out to be Mm -hmm. um you know just just attending a lot of panels and conventions it feels like a lot of the times and I was certainly guilty of this of trying to cram too much into um, a first issue and so you're being able to see that potential in the short version and Riley's ability to deliver that in a short uh, 10-page count is pretty impressive um, as a starting point so that's 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 pretty optimistic Um, one of the things that i I'm always fascinated by, and I think a lot of us in the industry are, are frustrated by, is the role of editors in the sort of indie side, because I think there's a massive gap between the the level of contribution that an editor can bring and improve a project versus the amount of times that actually really happens. 
a lot of indie stuff seems unedited. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I'm curious, you know, it, money is always tight on any project and it's, it's difficult to set aside um, and, and pay editors. Um, so I, I guess that might be one factor in why it's not happening. Um, but um, I'm curious what you think about um, the role of an editor in the early phases of a comic book creator's career. And then as they transition into a more professional setting, um, what that is like as well. Yeah. I think in the early stages, depending on where the writer is and their relationship with comics, um, say, say they know nothing about the comic book industry and they are, they want to do their first graphic novel or miniseries, and they don't even know how to write a script. So the editor can come in, help them kind of figure out a template. I recommend comics experience personally um, to people who've never written a script. They have lots of templates. Um, I use them myself. And, and I kind have of- you got, have, you got a, have you got a particular favorite or have you kind of created your own? I think, you know, it's been a while since- I've used their templates. I, I definitely started with their like standard template. Um, when I downloaded, I think it just says like comics experience script template or something. Um, but then I started to riff off of it and uh, change it depending on to who I was working with. Like if I ever collaborated with anyone and they had their own formatting, then I'd adapt it to that. Um, so but yeah, early on in the in the early stages, depending on the where the writer or artist that I've worked with is in their familiarity with the comic book industry, um, I think helping them navigate, you know, even developmental writing mm-hmm. um, and how how to get their ideas on paper. Um, and, and, and then kind of how to execute, like once they do have the ideas on paper, it's like, okay, does this work? Um, or there's a plot hole here. And so then I, I help them close up all those plot holes and am I answering your question? Oh, very much so. And it, it, it seems like, um, you've had enough experiences where, um, my perception is the role of editor, is kind of fungible Mm -hmm. and there are some editors who are um, really more like logistical support folks. And there are some that are just there to do a a dialogue pass um, to make sure you didn't do any crossbar eyes for lettering. Um, And then there are some that get really deep involved in the core structural choices. And it sounds like you've, you've had a number of different types of, of that experience. Oh yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, I've proofread thought bubbles as like my only job (laughs) on a, on a book, um, which is great. I love it. Um, because then I get to see the art. Uh, a lot of the times I'll be offering developmental edits on a script and then I might not ever see the art for whatever reason it might, it might not get produced or, or it just takes a long time, as you know, to make comics sometimes. 
Now, are, are, are you are you are you being a little bit hyperbolic there, or are you dead serious? There was one that like you didn't you didn't edit the captions, you didn't edit the dialogue, you only edited the thought bubbles. Um, so I edited the. I guess I am being hyperbolic. I edited, I edited, yeah, I edited the grammar, uh, within, you know, and all the words within the thought bubbles. I didn't actually like edit, you know, the letterers design work at all. Mm. It's more like reviewing all the text to make sure there were no, you know, misspellings, making sure all the characters names were spelled correctly and, um, ensuring that like when emphasis was used, that it was used in a, you know, in the way that the script intended. So to make sure that, you know, the letter was matching what the script said. And, yeah. and to also like um, catch extra thought bubble tales. Cause like sometimes those can, can get loose and goosey. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, just making sure everything looks tight right before it goes to print. So um, is there any particular um, type of thing that you're able to spot really well that's like a strength when you're in that mode? Um, I've got one friend of mine who who has almost Jedi-like ability to find crossbar eyes. Um, but um, do you have any other sorts of things like that? Yes, I would say I can see when the kerning is incorrect. Oh, um, wow. Okay, yeah. I don't know where that comes from, um, but that's one thing that I always notice that like when the letters are just too close together um, or when like two words, when one word should be two words kind of thing. Yeah. Do, uh, on the flip side of that, do you have any blind spots? Probably crossbar eyes. <laughs> you and me both. We we share that one in common. Yeah, and that's something I always have to remind myself how to prevent crossbar eyes from getting into my script because it's it's like not on my radar, which I'm sure I, letters would hate me for. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just realized, um, could you explain for everyone what a crossbar eye is? Because I, I doubt everyone knows. Um, you know, I honestly think letters could explain it better. Um, especially like Darren Bennett of And World Design. He, he has this whole video about like, you know, script format for letterers. And, and he talks about the crossbar eye. Um, and I think it's it's when the capital letter I is used um, and there's like, I don't know, serifs, which I don't even really understand what serifs are. I'm really not an expert here, but <laughs> <laughs> it's, and I, I don't even know what you're supposed to do instead. This I should know this. I'm an editor. Um, but again, it's really not my strong suit and it's probably something I should work on. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're like weeds in the yard. They just keep popping back up, no matter right. how many times you knock them down. Right. Uh, and I, I'll share with you one of my blind spots. And and I, I 
I want to see if you, you have similar experiences, but um, I tend to have kind of verbose scripts mm. and long descriptions. And I, I also tend to be kind of complicated on things and I'm, I'm trying to get better on all of this stuff, but as one side effect of the way I do things, um, sometimes in the course of draft to draft to draft, a character's name may change and um, I will not necessarily automatically catch all instances of that mm-hmm. change when I go to the next draft. And so like, for example, I had a project um, I was on and I, I gave a script to an editor and there was just this one panel um, and I had forgotten to bring in the, the correctly new version name of the, the character and it completely threw the guy off. He's like, who's this person? Why are they talking? What's going on? Yeah, that's that's something I would catch or another editor I think would catch because, you know, you're so close to it. And and so you can't see those things and it's very hard to edit your own work. Yeah, yeah, because the two names they still occupy the same like memory memory slot in the brain. Yeah. So if if you see the wrong one, it still kind of seems right. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, yeah. Um so, um, I have yet to progress far enough to where I've dealt with an editor who gave me a a, a directive that comes up from some other source beyond making the story the best that it can be made. So, up until now, I've had nothing but great experiences. But I do know that once you get into a certain licensed property um, type of environment, some of those particulars and, and directives will, will change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering, um, personally, have, have you been in a scenario where you've had to be on either one of those sides of, uh, of the process? Or are you, um, like me, fortunate enough to where everything you've done thus far is been all about the, the the love of the sport I think I've mostly been like you in my my freelance editing work for independent authors and creators but I do deal with IP in my work with Marvel mm-hmm. um, not I don't like make comics or edit comics with them uh, I do mostly website content for them. Mm-hmm. And so I have to make sure that, that the names are correct. Um, though I have a ton, like a team of editors who are reviewing my work. So that's mm-hmm. another backstop. Um, but I, I have to, you know, double and triple check my research when I'm writing for them to make sure that I'm getting details. Correct. It's like, I don't actually know how much time they have to really do a deep dive into, you know, editing my work. So I'm, and maybe it's a workplace hazard that I'm an editor also. And so I'm trying to edit my own work as much as possible to make their job easier. 
and and yeah and to ensure that you know there's there's going to be no question about a character's name when my editor gets it well i wouldn't i wouldn't consider this a workplace hazard i would consider this a a a workplace uh, strength for you in particular since you you've played on both sides of the fence there and um well, i thank hope you. I'm not re- <laughs> I, well i hope i'm not revealing uh, something you don't want revealed, but I'm, I've, I've been fortunate enough to see you um, develop some things and uh, at, at a very early stage, and you've offered up uh, things that you may have a question about, and um, you've been extraordinarily open and willing to accept input um, from folks who have a lot less experience in comics than you. Um, in the spirit of like a egalitarian, like, Hey, a good idea is a good idea. Mm. Um, so, um, I, I, I think, um, is, is that, is that a conscious choice that you've made or is that just kind of your character or. I think both. I thrive off of collaboration. I love working with people. And I love the comics industry. Um, Every industry has, you know, pros and cons. But for whatever reason, the cons in comics don't stop me from being in it. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I've had some pretty positive experiences in the industry, thankfully. Uh, Met a lot of incredible people and, you know, gotten a lot of joy out of building relationships within the industry. And, and I, I want to offer that to people as well. Um, and be sort of this welcoming force that like comics aren't scary and you you can do it too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is one of the things I, there are a lot of, as, uh, as you kind of hinted at as well, there are, there are a number of cons, uh, to, um, every aspect of making comics, but the, the, the genuine welcoming nature of, of, of most people um, willing to answer questions or provide feedback um, is, is one of the, the absolute strengths. Um, and m- the vast majority of my work uh, personally has been greatly improved through um, formal and informal uh, bits of collaboration Um, and before I started doing anything like this, whenever I heard interviews with people, um, giving credit to others, it, it always, it rang hollow to me. It sounded like, um, you know, false humility or pandering or I don't Mm -hmm. know. I, it just, it just kind of, maybe I'm just too darn cynical or something, Mm -hmm. but, but now I realize I was probably wrong all of those times because it is so darn true some of the best things in the comics that have my name on them, like originated with some other folks feedback and ideas. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Um, I don't think any of us are really like an Island, right? I think we're all inspired by external forces, whether it's people in our lives or art that we're exposed to. So let me put you on the spot on one thing. Okay. What, what is one of the cons 
of the comic book industry that that is particularly difficult or frustrating for you? Um, I'm running. I'm running through a couple in my head and deciding which one I want to <laughs> say out loud. Yes, um, yes, yes. Yeah, there there are some minefields here. So <laughs> if, if you want if you want to invoke your Fifth Amendment rights um, and defer to the next question, I'll I'll happily uh, move on. Um, I think as an indie comics creator, it's tough to to get your comics out there, especially as a as a writer. Um, obviously I'm coming from a writer editor perspective. Uh, I'm not an artist. I don't letter. I don't color aside from like coloring in a coloring book once a year when I, you know, need therapy. Um, but like I, so I'm really coming from the writer perspective here when it comes to making comics, I need an artist. Um, I need Mm -hmm. a color. I need a letterer. I need a team. And it can be expensive because it, yes. you know, it costs money to make, to have people do labor for you. <laughs> and it's like totally understandable and necessary. Um, but it can then as a side effect, it can take a while to build up funds to then pay people to make your comic. And so, and I'm a, I sometimes am an impatient person and I want things to happen right now. <laughs> and they just don't. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah and so that's, that's that's kind of a con for me as a writer. Yeah, yeah. It, that's definitely something I, I can identify with. So since we are talking about your work as a writer, uh, let's segue away from your role as an editor and talk a little bit about you as a comics writer. And um, I, I would I would want to frame at least the introduction to the conversation. Uh, my favorite comic of yours that I've read is is a short called Martial Law. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about that comic um, was it, it really um, demonstrates the capacity of comics as a medium to reinvent itself and offer different alternatives uh, as to how you experience it. Um, it... Um, you know, we're all accustomed to a certain grammar that's in vogue at a given moment in comics. Here's a panel, here's a caption, here's here's the dialogue. And martial law almost feels like a simultaneous visual poem and prose poem kind of almost, you know, operating at a almost musical wavelength together. Um Tell us a little bit about how that that project came about. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for that was beautiful what you said um, about it. I am flattered, <laughs> um, but it was it was definitely a collaboration, and it in the truest sense of the word. I wrote a poem and through Stephanie Cook, who's a writer-editor and runs Creator Resource. She connected me with the artist, Christian Dabari. And I hope I'm saying his name right. I've actually never asked him. 
um, you know, all of our, all of comics is like online for me. And so right. I, I talk to people mostly via email or Slack or Twitter. And so sometimes I might say people's names wrong. Um, I had that exact, I, to- I had that exact same thing happen to me on a podcast like a month ago. Like I realized, oh my goodness, I've never spoken this person's name aloud. I don't know mm-hmm. how to say it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so disclaimer, apology, if I pronounce anybody's name wrong. Um, so yeah, I talked to Christian. I told him this is kind of an unorthodox project. It's just a poem. Um, and I, I offered to him and then the letterer, Hassan Atsmane Elhau, um, I said, you know, I can put this into a script format if you want me to. And they're like, no, 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 that's fine. And then Christian, I gave him pretty much free reign to do whatever he wanted in terms of layout with the option of, you know, asking me questions. If he had any questions about the world, um, I gave him a poem and I gave him like a one page, pretty brief synopsis or, you know, which had uh, sort of the setting described Mm -hmm. more fully than in the poem (laughs) and, um, and the characters, which mostly, I mean, as you, you know, you've read it, the, the main character is the corporation that's featured in the comic Marshall tech. Um, and there's a bunch of other characters featured, but none of them are named. And, um, so it, it came out of, you know, this poem that I wrote, Christian brought on the colorist, Simon Gao. Um, and I brought on the, yeah, the coloring on it is fantastic. Yeah. I, and they, all of it works together just so well. Yeah. They, they really work well together too. They do a lot of projects together. Um, and I brought Hassan on and I, I also gave him, you know, free reign. I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I was really open to whatever these creators wanted to do. And then they just kind of knocked it out of the park. And when I first saw Hassan's lettering, you know, it's this graffiti style. It's not in thought bubbles. It's not contained. Um, and at first I was like, Oh, this is, you know, this is different. I haven't seen, I haven't seen this before. And then I just kind of like went with it. I shared it with Christian and Simon and I was like, well, what do you guys think? And they were like, Oh, we love it. So I was like, okay. I just kind of like, I took my hand off the wheel a little bit and I, I let other people drive and it turned out to be, like you said, very like harmonious and out of the box. Now, was this very early in your development as a comic writer to where you had a lot of freedom there because you didn't have a lot of expectations on structure or had you already done some more structured work and this was a, you know, a bit of a departure? This was a bit of a departure. I had been working on a five issue miniseries before it and just hitting all kinds of roadblocks and going through, I had like multiple artists um, who couldn't, continue 
due to like health reasons and or injuries. And, and so I was hitting all these roadblocks and, and then I felt like my scripts were really prescriptive. Like maybe that was, I thought maybe that's contributing to, you know, my difficulties. Maybe there's too much detail in my scripts and they're overwhelming people. So I wrote this poem as a way to relinquish control and just try Mm -hmm. something completely different. And it worked and it happened actually pretty quickly, like within a few months. Um, And granted it's a short, it's like six pages long. So shorter comics can be made faster than, you know, five issue mini series. (laughs) So, um, so yeah. Yeah, you have achieved something that I have yet to achieve. And I've seen some uh, friends of mine who are also comic creators um, take that step of writers who have, you know, let go a little bit more in every single time. Uh, the the experiment not only paid off, it it paid off in spades. Um, I, I guess I have a little bit way to go before I... Um, I can let go of some of this stuff. I think I'm just a little bit too precious. Um, well, there, that's okay and, too. I'm inspired. <laughs> no, that's nice. I'm I, inspired. To, I want to get there. I want to get there. Yeah, I think, um, you know, trying it out, even a short, once, um, will get you there. Because it, that's what I found anyway. I'm, I'm only speaking from my my one experience here. <laughs> that like, you know, I think it'll uh, do it as an experiment and let me know how it goes. I will. I will definitely do that. So um, as we've already sort of hinted at, in, in a, you, have, you wear so many hats in comics. In addition to writing and editing, you also do uh, some like news journalism work uh with a a wide variety of outlets um you you've worked both with marvel and with image right yes yes that's correct i worked for i actually did a bunch of things with image i volunteered at their booth for six years at various comic cons and and then wrote for their magazine image plus oh wow okay for a year I think it was out for about two years. And I interned with them. I, that's how I actually got working with them in the first place. Um, I had moved to Berkeley and called them up and asked them if they needed an intern. And <laughs> they said yes. Oh, so that's fantastic. It was, uh, I mean, I, there was more to it. I, I had to go in and like interview and introduce myself. Um, and then I interned like, I don't know, 16 hours a week. Um, and then it turned into like, I I think I was like this warehouse clerk for them. And when I say warehouse, I do not mean like a Costco warehouse or anything. It's literally like this, you know, 20 by 20 room of long comic book boxes. Oh, wow. um, You know, books boxes on boxes on boxes from floor to ceiling um, that I had to then add comics to and organize. Um, so it was more like a librarian 
than a clerk. <laughs> now, when you worked um, booths at Image, what, did, did you ever go to San Diego? I did a couple times. Did you happen to be there in any of the years where David Brothers was doing all of the uh, moderating of the panels? I think I was there one year, but I might be conflating it with other cons like at New York or Emerald City in Seattle. But I definitely have been to some of his panels. Um, he, he's, in my opinion, he's the grandmaster of the form. Oh, yeah. Like, no. Nobody touches him yep. at, at how to moderate a panel. Yep. After I attended one of his panels, I was like, well, I'm never moderating a panel again. <laughs> Not even going to try. <laughs> if I ever do, I, I did moderate one panel once, um, and the format was very obvious. Um, but if if I ever got the opportunity to moderate a panel, uh, I'm going to totally steal his format. I mean... He can sue me for plagiarism or whatever. Uh-huh. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna exactly steal his format. It's so effective. Um, but being in that milieu of you know going to conventions, writing pieces um, for various online uh, places, um, has have has that afforded you the ability through proximity to learn more about the industry? Oh, absolutely. Um just talking to people and asking questions um, at cons. And of course that's like not an option right now, um, which is unfortunate, but I digress. Um, Can I put you on the spot again? Can you give us like a particular nugget of wisdom or a lesson that really um, from those experiences that you can pass on to the rest of us? Absolutely. So Eric Larson, one of the co-founders of Image, I used to have lunch with him um, in Berkeley, and I don't even really remember talking a whole lot about comics. I think we just talked about life. Um, mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until a couple years later I saw him again at a convention, and he was, you know, drawing at his booth. Um and, oh, excuse me, his table. He was an artist alley. And and I told him I was, I was writing a script, and I asked him for advice. And he told me to value the page turn and, mm-hmm. like, not forget about it because the page turn can be highly effective. Um, and also to avoid all black panels. Really? Yeah. He, I think what he was trying to say to me, if I remember correctly, was that it's like a waste (laughs) to Mm -hmm, have, mm -hmm. to not have any art. Um, and I mean, of course I could see the, the other side of it that like black panels can offer a sense of like finality or doom or that something something's gone, right? Missing. But I think what he was saying was that there's just so much opportunity to have art in that panel 
that it's like maybe not always, you know, worth it to rely on them. That's cool. That's cool. Mm -hmm. So um, let's quickly segue here to um, your near and medium and long-term future here. Um, Do you have any other projects currently in development that you can tease or talk about? I did get accepted into an anthology recently. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, What can you tell us about us, if anything? Well, the roster hasn't been announced. And I I feel like it's just because the editor slash coordinator is just so monumentally busy. Um. I haven't been told that I can't say anything, so I think it's okay to re- to reveal here. <laughs> or, I mean, if you, if you want to speak a little vaguely, you know, you could just give the genre and and the the size of your story or something like that. Sure. Um, I mean, I, I'll just tell you, I got accepted into the Off into the Sunset anthology, which is inspired by westerns nice. and run by Brent Harshman. And, and my story is a six page short. Um, and it's the genre's cattle punk. Um, so like, steam, like that. steampunk in the West. And it's about a bounty hunter and it's very much inspired by the Mandalorian and the quick and the dead. Um, and the quick and the dead, I don't know how many people know it, but it was with Sharon Stone and Russell Crowe and Leonardo DiCaprio and Gene Hackman. And, it aired, God, I don't know, on like NBC or something. It aired on TV when I was much younger. Uh-huh. And it really affected me. And I don't know if it was because it was like the first Western I had seen with a woman in, in the lead, mm-hmm. you know, wearing pants. Because um, in a lot of Westerns that I grew up watching with my grandpa, um, you know, women were, were either these, you know, Southern bells or, um, saloon slash brothel madams. Right. Um, and always in a dress. And so, so the depiction of her, I think in this, this film inspired this story largely. So it has a, a female protagonist. That sounds great. I'm looking forward to that already. Do you um, do you guys have a um, an aimed uh, release or a campaign date? Uh, generally speaking, yeah, it's going to be on Kickstarter in about a month. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, that's the plan. So, um, and I don't even I haven't been paired up with an artist yet. So, so far, it's just me and my my script. and and we'll see cool cool well congratulations on that and we're definitely gonna look forward to that um thank you so we're running short on time here but i do have a tradition here on the podcast um we end every interview asking folks uh, what's on your radar what are you reading or watching or listening to that you can recommend 
let's see, I just read Kelly Thompson's Black Widow issues, like one through five. Um, I'm trying to remember the artist. I'm totally drawing a blank and I'm looking it up while I'm talking to you. <laughs> uh, oh, Lena Casagrande is the artist. Um, with the cover artist, Adam Hughes. Um, I had to read it for work. I, I often read Marvel comics for work. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it only like if I'm assigned something because often I'll be writing character biographies for their website. And so I'll have to go through, you know, past archives. And so I, it's hard for me to like stay up to date with what's coming out unless mm-hmm. I have to interview the creators and then I get to read their work. Um, but the Kelly Thompson's run on black widow, which is ongoing is incredible. It, it brought me to tears. Um, oh, wow. With it only within five issues. That's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. And it was just a really powerful story about Natasha one that has not been done and and it was inspiring really so I, I read that um what else am I reading I started what is it I breathed the body by Zach Thompson I don't think I'm familiar with that tell me a little bit about that one it is from Aftershock. It's science fiction, like body horror, um, about social media and how influential it can be and how people can go to the extreme to be on video. And Zach often does body horror stories really well. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I, I like horror and I don't like horror because it's terrifying. Um, but I really like to see what Zach does with horror. So that's been, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I will definitely check, check both of these out. They sound pretty intriguing. Yeah. Well, before, before we wrap up here, uh, Tell everyone where we can find you on the internet, uh, social media, and and definitely be sure to mention your website. I uh, I have to say, out of all the folks in indie comics that I've gone to their website, yours is the coolest, most professional looking one. It's just amazing. Oh, thank you. It was a template provided by Squarespace. <laughs> oh, we'll edit that comment out. Let everybody just pretend. Yeah. Oh, I can't. I can't lie. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the compliment. Um, so my website is brittanymatter.com and my Twitter handle is the same at Brittany Matter. I think so is my Instagram. Um, my Instagram is mostly stories now, which, you know, come and go within like 24 hours. Uh, but lately I've been posting um, like when I do post like a picture, it's landscape or of the sky because I guess I just find the world really beautiful. And and those are the more permanent posts versus stories. So 
yeah, that's what I've been doing there. Um, and I think that's it. Did I cover well, everything? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Well, th- thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's really fun to talk to you, Milton. All right. Well, I'll talk to you again and we'll all look forward to uh, your, your anthology and the conclusion of at least this initial group of Miranda in the Maelstrom. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you later.